almost done our uh, You Ask Mer series. If you have this one and then next week, and then we will be done. Some of you are like, finally. Uh, though a lot of you really appreciate it. Uh, all the messages in this sermon series have been questions that um, were asked by all of you. We just had a box out there and people put in random questions, some easy, some hard, and uh, we've been working away at answering those questions. Uh, today's question is this. Is it possible for practices from other belief systems, like New Age or Buddhism, to be redeemed and used by Christians? Um, there are a lot of ways I could approach answering this. Um, but what I decided to do, because this is a question of, is this okay to do, um, to, to expand this. Because as a pastor, I get this question a lot. People will come up to me and say, you know, is this okay for me to do? Or, you know, can I do this? Or... Uh, we have a lot of questions like that, perhaps, in life. Uh, maybe some questions coming out of this, this question about practices that come from maybe other belief systems. Is it okay for us to participate in mindfulness or meditation, yoga, visualization? Uh, we could have other questions that sometimes Christians ask. Uh, is it okay to participate in Halloween? Uh, sometimes married couples say, you know, is this okay for us to do sexually? Uh, can I wear this? Can I listen to this? Can I watch this? Can I smoke this? Can I participate in this? And on and on and on and on. There's a million questions that sometimes people ask. Um, is this okay for me to do? And so what I'm going to do is just basically give a little framework that you can work through, which uh, will help with pretty much any question you have in terms of, is this okay for me to do? And we'll try to narrow in uh, briefly just on a specific question as we, we go through this. So <clears throat> first one... Uh, to ask is, uh, what does the Bible say? Uh, what does the Bible say? We have the added benefit of having uh, Bibles in our home and scriptures. But you know, for a lot of church history, for the first 1,500 years, basically, of church history, people didn't have Bibles in their own home. Uh, and so we have this privilege of having Bibles in our own home uh, to work through questions of uh, what does the Bible say? Now, when we do ask what the Bible says, uh, we need to make sure that we uh, interpret the Bible through an understanding of the culture and the history in which the Bible was written. Uh, because if we don't understand how the Bible is written, the culture and the background, sometimes we can ask this question, is this okay? And we'll actually get a, 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 an incorrect answer. Uh, for instance, uh, you could be wondering, uh, years ago this was an issue in the church, not so much anymore. Uh, uh, but years ago people were wondering, you know, is it okay for me to have a tattoo as a Christian? And you could go to the Bible and you could... Maybe pull up a Leviticus 19, and, and it says, uh, Do not put tattoo marks on yourselves. I am the Lord, and it seems like that's just settled. No Christians are allowed to have tattoos. But it's important when you're reading the Bible to understand the historical and cultural background. That when you read the Bible, you always ask, Why was that written? Why did God say that? And we understand back then, people did not put tattoos on themselves for personal meaning or for uh, religious meaning or for something that, that's artistic, tattoos back then were used in slavery. When you purchased a slave, you would put a tattoo on their forehead or on their, their arm or their wrist or their shoulder, and it was a sign of ownership. So if that slave ran away uh, and they were caught, people knew whom that slave belonged to. And so God was not, uh, I mean, he had just removed the, the Israelites 
out of Egypt where they were slaves, and he is bringing them into freedom, and so he didn't want that kind of thing going on, and so this is the reason why he says, you know, we don't want tattoos. Uh, we do them for an entirely different reason today, and this is why the majority of Christians have, have no issue with tattoos today. And so it's important to ask, what is historically going on? Another example could be, I mean, maybe you walked in here today, and you're like, you know, I'm a woman, should I be wearing a head covering? I don't see anybody with a head covering on, but you know the Bible actually says that if you're a woman, you should wear a head covering. Uh, if you are wondering, is this okay for me to show up at church without a head covering? And you're like, well, what does the Bible say? And you, you open up 1 Corinthians 11, and you read this. A woman dishonors her head if she prays or prophesies without a covering on her head. For this is the same as shaving her head. Yes, if she refuses to wear a head covering, she should cut off all her hair. But since it's shameful for a woman to have her hair cut or her head shaved, she should wear a head covering. And you would say, well, obviously, if I'm wondering if this is okay or not, it's obviously not okay for me to show up at church without a head covering. I need to wear a head covering. But then you show up here with a head covering and look around and like, why isn't no one obeying the Bible? Um, the reason is because we understand that, that there's different historical and cultural backgrounds to some of the texts in Scripture. We understand that back then, uh, they didn't understand a lot medically. They didn't quite understand how babies were made. But they had this weird belief that when uh, you know, a man's sperm went into a, a woman, that hair attracted sperm. And that somehow babies were formed in the head. And so the, the more hair a woman had on her head, the more fertile they were. And if you shaved your, your hair on your head, you weren't very fertile. And because the hair on the head actually had to do with fertility... Uh, in many ways in that culture, hair of a woman is actually seen kind of like a sexual organ. And this is why you covered up your hair when you went to church. It says you cover up other sexual organs. But we understand that, that that's a different historical and cultural context. We understand how babies are made and hair on the heads of a woman has nothing to do with that. And so we say, you know, it's totally fine for women to show up to church without a head covering. Uh, and so, again, when you say, well, what does the Bible say? It's important to understand the historical and cultural background. Most of the texts are pretty plain. I mean, if you're wondering, you know, is it okay for me to be really angry and bitter with that person? You know, maybe there's some historical cultural background in the text that can, you know, have me a way out on this one. Well, well not really. I mean, the Bible's clear, and this is, it doesn't matter if you're from 2,000 years ago or today. If you're wondering, is it okay for me to be angry and bitter and unforgiving towards somebody? Well, the Bible says... Uh, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of, of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. And these are timeless, and these are things that, 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 that we engage in. So this is an important question. Is this okay or is this not okay in my life? Whatever your question is, what does the Bible say? This is one of, the, one of the things we can look to. Secondly, we're going to ask God. God is not silent. Uh, he, he loves to speak to us, and he loves to answer our questions. Uh, Jeremiah 33, God himself says, Call to me, and I will answer you, and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. I mean, God is asking you, he's saying, talk to me. Talk to me. I, I want to speak to you. I want, I want to build into your life. Or in the book of James, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. 
He will not rebuke you for asking. There's no bad questions that you can ask God. You know, sometimes we might be afraid. Maybe he's busy or, you know, maybe this is a stupid question. question. He's going to send lightning down or something like that. I mean, no, he's generous. He loves to answer our questions. I mean, Christianity at its core is about a relationship, a relationship with the Father. And, uh, I mean, it's kind of weird to think about having a relationship with somebody and never having any communication. Uh, because we're in a relationship with God, God communicates and he speaks. And so um, uh, ask God, God, is this okay for me to engage in this, to participate in this, to, to do this, and allow him to, to speak? And if you're here and you're having maybe trouble understanding, like, how in the world do I hear God? Well, that's actually going to be our next little series. I'm going to spend some time talking about hearing God and, and different ways that we can engage in connecting with God. Uh, once we're done, the You Ask For It series. So, so ask God, talk to him, and listen to him. And you know, interesting enough, there are times when God will say to one Christian, this is okay for you to do, and he'll say to another Christian, it's not okay for you to do. Uh, we're going to talk about this towards the end of this message. Um, some things are okay for some and not, and, and not for other people. Uh, the third question is, is it beneficial? Is this beneficial? Uh, John chapter 8 says, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Uh, we're free. Uh, Christians ought to be the most free people in this world. Uh, Jesus has set you free so that you can actually be free. And what happens a lot of times is we get stuck back under rules and regulations and all these laws and all these things we can't do and shouldn't do. And Galatians 5 talks about this. It, it says, it's, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. He's talking about rules and regulations. You are incredibly free. And if you don't feel free, I would highly recommend you listen to Tamara's message. She did back in July. She did a whole message on, on this very thing, on being free in Christ, and it was, it was awesome. It uh, really helped me to live just a more free life in Christ. Uh, we are super free as Christians, but the Bible says that though we're free, not everything is beneficial. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it says, All things are lawful for me, but not everything is beneficial. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be controlled by anything. And so this is another question we can ask. Uh, is this okay? Is this not okay? Well, is it actually beneficial? Uh, beneficial in what way, you might ask? Well, is it beneficial in, in bearing good fruit? Tamara talked about this again. Uh, will this add more joy to your life? Will it add more love? Will it make you more patient? Will it make you more kind? Will it add to the fruits of the Spirit? Or if it's going to make you more miserable and less loving and less patient, then that's not a beneficial thing. Second way we can ask is it beneficial is is it loving towards others? Again, this goes back to the question, what does the Bible say? And, and Paul actually summed up the entire Bible this way. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, so this is an important question. We cannot underestimate the importance of this question. Is it loving towards others? Again, Paul says the whole Bible is summed up in, in loving other people. And sometimes people ask, well, you know, what about that other command about loving God? How could Paul say that the whole Bible is summed up in just loving other people? What about loving God? And I think part of the answer is, is that anyone can say they love God. I mean, the Pharisees were people who were going around to say, we love God. But Jesus looked at them, 
and actually said that they were sons of the devil. The reason Paul can say this is because how do you know if someone really loves God? Anybody can say that. How do you know? Paul says in the book of John, it doesn't matter if you say if you love God if you don't love your brother and sister. That our love for God is manifested. The way you see someone's love for God, it is always manifested in a love for other people. And so this is an important question. Is this okay? Is this not okay? Is it thinking about other people? Is it loving towards someone else? Is it, is it that way? And so a lot of times people you know, ask me, is, you know, is this okay for us as a married couple to do? Well, is it consensual? Does it add to your relationship? Is it good? Do you both agree? Then, then great. I mean, it's probably a good thing. Um, uh, the other question here, Paul says, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be controlled by anything. In, in other words, is this actually loving towards yourself? In other words, is this going to bring you back to bondage? Is this going to cause you to be a slave to that thing? I mean, Romans 8 says, we are no longer slaves to sin, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. But if it's going to bring you back under that bondage, then it's, it's not beneficial. So another question is, you know, what does the Bible say? What is, God, what is God speaking to you? Is this thing beneficial? And uh, another thing you can do is use wisdom. Uh, to study the issue from all perspectives, discuss it with other people. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1 says that God has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. Do you actually have God's wisdom inside of you? Uh, the Bible says you have the mind of Christ. And so sometimes when you are trying to figure out, is this okay, is this not okay, uh, do some research. Talk to different Christians. And, and I always push that if you're going to get a research within Christianity, always try to get different perspectives because there's always lots of different perspectives on any issue. And you can bring that before God and, and allow him, to, you, uh, him to, to speak into that. You can talk to other people who are maybe wise, uh, but use wisdom. Uh, number five, and these two we're going to spend a bit more time on. Uh, because it may, made me fit more with, with this question. Uh, number five is to think through this paradigm of creation, fall, and redemption. So if you're wondering, is this okay for me to do or engage in or to practice or whatever, think of the paradigm creation, fall, redemption. And it goes like this. In the beginning, of course, God made everything good in creation. Genesis chapter 1. Then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good. Mankind was good. Culture was good. The idea of community was good. Sexuality was good. The environment was good. Uh, everything was great and wonderful in the original creation. It was perfect in every way. But then we know that the fall came. Man sinned. Evil spirits entered the picture. And Romans chapter 3 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that that we have corruptness in us, the world is corrupt, that there is this fallenness in the creation of God. And then, God, throughout the entire history of this world, has been working to bring redemption. Working to put away the things that are fallen and bring redemption and move things back towards the original creation, which will happen again, as the Bible talks about the new heavens and the new earth, where everything will make, be brought back to perfection, and everything in this entire universe will be defined by the love of God. In Colossians 1, it says that God is uh, going to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, that, that 
that God is working in this broken world to bring redemption. So there's the original creation, which is perfect. There's the fallenness, and then there's the work of redemption. So with this, this kind of paradigm, we can look at this, this picture, and Albert Walters uh, wrote a beautiful book called Creation Regained, which really is dealing partly with how we as Christians engage with this culture, uh, how we as Christians engage with, is this okay or not okay for us to do? And he uses these three things, and he put, puts it this way. He calls it structure and direction. So he would look at structure, the original structure of something, which is its uh, the, the goodness of God in that thing or the thing that was a part of God's original creation. Now that can be taken in a fallen way or it can be used in a, redempt, a redemptive way. Uh, we can use some examples that might help you make more sense of this. So let's take uh, uh, dancing. Again, not really an issue in the church, but you go back 40, 50 years ago, this was a big issue uh, to go out dancing. In some areas of Christianity, a very fundamentalistic, you, know, just, you just didn't dance. And the reason was is because people in the church would look out and see how maybe dancing was being used. And maybe it was being used in a fallen way. And they would say, well, because it's being used in a fallen way, we reject it. Because it's being used in, in a sinful way, we should have nothing to do with it. And, and they focus only in on the fall. They forget about creation. And they forget about redemption. Where originally... Uh, God created, talk about creation, its original structure, God created dancing to be beautiful. The uh, Bible speaks very, very highly of dancing throughout the entire scriptures. Um, uh, dancing is beautiful for relationships, it's beautiful for artistic, it's beautiful for expression, it's beautiful for celebration and, and community. God loves community and, and he loves a, a good party. Jesus went up to parties. I mean, so all of that is part of the original creation. Now, we as Christians saying, can I do this or can I not do this? What we do is we go back to the original creation. This is how God designed dancing. This is how it looks in the fallen world. But I don't reject the entirety of it just because it's being used wrongly. I want to use it in a redeeming way. So you go back to the original creation and you use it towards redemption, but reject the fallen nature of it. Another example could be Halloween. Sometimes uh, Christians ask, should I, should I go out or hide out? You know? Uh, a lot of Christians, well, some Christians will look at the idea of Halloween, and again, they will only focus in on the black line, the fall. You know, people dress up like devils, and, you know, they, they, they are happy to be a witch or whatever, so it's, it's all horrible and bad and awful, and sometimes put, people put bad things in candy, and there's fallenness about Halloween, and kids spray paint things and tip over mailboxes, and it's, it's, they only focus in on the fallen aspect, and therefore we say, they say, it's all bad. Uh, you got to hide out. You should not participate in Halloween. Where I think if you're a little more wise, you would say, well, uh, the fallenness is only the middle part. Let's back up to the creation. What in Halloween is part of God's good creative plan? Uh, going around meeting your neighbors. That's part of God's good creative plan. Uh, blessing little kids and making them happy. <laughs> Putting a smile on a kid's face. That, that's, that seems like God's good original plan. Uh, again, uh, talking to your neighbor who you've never talked about, even dressing up in fun ways and in, enjoying life and community, those are good things. And so some Christians would say, well, I'm going to reject the fallen part of Halloween, but I'm going to go back to the original creation, and I'm going to use that in a redeeming way. And so uh, there, a lot of Christians do celebrate Halloween in a redemptive way. There are still some Christians who will say, no, I can't do it. And as we're going to see in a moment, that's actually okay. And not all Christians are going to agree on all of these things. 
Uh, we can take an, another one, which is more specifically uh, actually mentioned in the question of taking practices that come from other belief systems or other religions, and can we use them as, 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 as Christians? And we can take mindfulness, and uh, if you know anything about mindfulness, it's used in, uh, well, churches use it, schools use it, uh, counseling uses it, psychologists use it. Uh, it's used in a lot of realms, uh, but it actually has, has roots in Buddhism. It comes out of Buddhism. And so some people will look at mindfulness and will say, well, it has bad roots. Uh, there's a fallenness maybe about it because it comes from there, they would say, and therefore it just needs to be completely rejected. Well, there is another um, issue to this, and this is uh, this idea of a genetic fallacy. And this is like if you're in debates or whatever, you can talk about argument fallacies. But one of those fallacies is called the genetic fallacy or the fallacy of origins, and that's this. It's a fallacy of rejection based solely on someone's or something's history, origin, or source rather than its current use, meaning or context. The history or source of something does not make something true or untrue, good or bad. It must be taken on its own merit. So, um, I mean, let's say, um, you know, like a drug dealer, you know, a child abuser, you know, that's a horrible person. Um, you know, comes out and says, you know, one plus one is two. We wouldn't say, well, that's wrong because of the source. You know, that person said one plus one is two, therefore, because it came from that source, it must be wrong. No, it's actually true, but just the source is a bit funky, right? Um, we can't look at, say, the son of somebody. Maybe, uh, you know, there, there's a dad out there who's just, you know, kind of a mean guy. Well, you know, because that's the son of so-and-so, they must be a mean guy too. Well, not necessarily. Uh, genetic fallacy says that the, the thing that comes out of something is always the same as the something, but that's not always true. Uh, there are, I mean, if you really think about it, we use things all the time, every day in our life that come from non-Christian sources. I mean, if we're like, we're only going to take things that have a Christian source, we might all be quite naked this morning. I don't know. We wouldn't be sitting on chairs. Or, uh, <laughs> so there's the, the idea of genetic fallacy. So again, we can go back and we can... Say, take something like mindfulness. Um, what in, and, and if you don't mindfulness, basically mindfulness is when, when you quiet yourself uh, and you just kind of relax and maybe you, you focus really on your, just your breathing, the presentness of your breathing. You focus maybe on aspects of your body. You get really relaxed. It's very helpful for anxiety, very helpful for depression. That's why it's used a lot in counseling, medical field, and, and uh, various things. Uh, but we go back and, like, what in that is part of God's creation? Well, being, being quiet is part of God's creation. Breathing deeply is part of God's creation. I mean, science shows us that it's good for us just to focus on our breath and to breathe deeply. That's good. Uh, focusing on aspects of your body. I mean, after all, God created your body. Uh, and so, I mean, I mean, I personally think mindfulness is totally okay. Uh, maybe there's some fallen aspects to it. I mean, surely it can be used in a fallen aspect. But just because it comes from the source of of Buddhism doesn't mean it automatically the whole thing is horrible. Again, we don't judge things based on the fall. We judge things back on the creation. What in it is good, is godlike, is beautiful. Let's redeem that. Uh, and so this is the creation, fall, redemption structure that you can use when you're deciding, should I do this? Should I not do this? Now within that, um, what may be okay for you may not be okay for someone else. I mean, you can even take the mindfulness thing. Um, 
I mean, if you grew up in Buddhism and that was a saturation as part of you of Buddhism and then you became a Christian, it might be difficult for you to do mindfulness because it just reminds you of Buddhism and in, in, in your own life. And maybe for you, it's not okay. Uh, there will be things in all of these questions that Christians debate. There will, some Christians will say, you know, I think this is okay. Other Christians are going to say it's not okay. And you know what? That's okay. In fact, <clears throat> the Bible has a huge section of scripture dealing with these kinds of issues. Is this okay? Is this not okay? And debates within Christians about this is okay and this is not okay. First Corinthians chapter 8 through 10, Romans 14, deals with an issue about sacrificing meat. Um, which you may think is a strange thing. But, I mean, we have our issues in the church today that are controversial. Uh, back then, the controversy was about sacrificing meat. And we can't downplay um, this. I mean, it was just like, what's this? just food. It's not a big deal. This was a huge deal. You can think about the most controversial thing in Christianity today, and it was up there with that. It was an immense theological debate. People were splitting over it. There were arguments over it. This is why it's addressed quite a few times in Scripture. This is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, now regarding your question about food that has been offered to idols, because they asked Paul, is this okay, is this not okay? Because there are people in our church who think it's okay, and there are things who are not, and it's not okay. We need to solve this. This is a debate. And Paul writes about it. And you say, well, what's the deal with sacrifice meat to idols? Well, here was the deal. Back then, uh, like, Pagan temples, temples to various gods, was just a part of community life, especially in Corinth and various parts of, of the Roman Empire. Weddings were held in the temple to gods. Uh, feasts were there. I mean, if you wanted to enjoy culture and community, you would. It, was just, it just happened in temples, just so saturated in community life. And a part of temple worship was that they would take meat and sacrifice it to one of the gods, and then they would bless that meat and invoke the power of that god over that meat. So whoever ate that meat would kind of be blessed by the power of that god. Then that meat would be taken, and it would be used for a wedding feast. It would be taken, it would be in the, in the, in the market. So as you walk down the street, and you were to buy, you know, some meat for dinner, there would be meat hanging there, and you wouldn't know if it was sacrificed to an idol or not. You wouldn't know if there was, you know, someone... Uh, you know, prayed for the power of that God over that meat, so they would bless you or whatever. So some Christians said, you know, I don't want anything to do with it because there might be demons behind that meat, and it's, you know, it's a charged object or whatever, you know, it's been blessed to a pagan God, and so I don't want to eat that because I might get infected by a demon or I might, you know, I might be a foothold. You know, I just, I just don't think it's okay. I might... It's like if I eat that meat and bless to a god, another god, then it's like I'm breaking the first commandment because I'm worshiping another god. There's that team, and they had lots of verses to support their team. And then there's the other team, and they just said, you know what, I'm free in Christ. It's meat. I trust the power of the Holy Spirit more in me than I fear the, the work of the enemy. It's totally fine to eat the meat. And so there were strict vegetarians would not eat meat, and that's why the Bible talks about the meat-vegetarian issue at times in the Bible, because they, they didn't want anything that would compromise their faith, and there were also other Christians that were like, well, we're going to eat lots, and we're going to eat more. Our Christian had no problem going to a wedding in one of the temples and eating the meat there. So this was, this was a huge debate. Paul talks about these two sides, the no side. Some are accustomed to thinking of idols as being real. So when they eat food that has been offered to idols, they think of it as the worship of real gods and their weak conscience are violated. And, uh, and, and, and Paul actually uses this language between those weak in faith and strong in faith. 
that those weak in faith were those who were a little bit more fundamentalistic. Those who were strong in faith were just having to be those who were a little bit more free. He's the one who uses that language, not me. So there were those who, uh, th their consciences were violated very easily. They were very black and white. And so we can't do this because that meat has been blessed and the power of that God has been invoked on that meat. I can't eat it. No, it's bad. And if you eat it, brother or sister, you are doing bad things and you should leave the church or whatever. <laughs> there were other sides, the yes side, uh, and Paul seemed to be more on this side. He said, eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Why is my freedom from my, why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So there are people who say, I'm eating this meat to the glory of God. It's awesome. Barbecue. <laughs> but again, we can't underestimate this. I mean, this debate was very controversial. Again, you can take some of the most controversial topics throughout church history. It's up there. It's like up there with the big controversial topics today where there's people on this side and that side. So what Paul does is he, he writes a, just a brilliant chapter. It's so helpful in so many ways in dealing with anything controversial or dealing with can I do this, can I not do this in Romans chapter 14. And I'm actually going to read the whole chapter uh, because it's just great. It says this, accept other believers who are weak in faith, that is those who say, don't eat the meat, it's bad. Accept them. And don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. For instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything. But another belie uh, believer with a sensitive conscience will eat only vegetables. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do. For God has accepted them. Who are you to condemn someone else's servant? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall, and with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive his approval. In the same way, some think one day is more holy than another, while others think every day is a light. This was another big debate in the early church about the Jewish Sabbath on Saturday, and then Christians would worship on Sunday, and some people would say, well, this is the holy day, and some people say, no, this is the holy day, and and you have splits and all that kind of thing. It was a, it was a huge issue, still can be a huge issue, about the Sabbath. Uh, but Paul says you should each be fully convinced whatever day you choose is acceptable. Those who worship the Lord on a special day do it to honor him. Those who eat any kind of food do so to honor the Lord, since they gave thanks to God before eating. And those who refuse to eat certain foods also want to please the Lord and give thanks to him. That that both sides are, are trying to live for Jesus. Both sides are trying to do what they think is right. Both sides are trying to read the Bible and figure out what is God saying. But they just end up in completely different spots. Like we know with a lot of issues in the church, right? Uh, for we don't live to ourselves or die to ourselves. And if we live, it is to honor the Lord. And if we die, it is to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and rose again for this very purpose, to be both Lord of the living and the dead. So why do you condemn another believer? Uh, why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For the scriptures say, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me, and every tongue will declare allegiance to God. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God, so let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble or fall. Uh, so he's saying that, and he said previously that 
that were, that were all part of his family, that were all his children. And who are we to condemn another person's servant? <laughs> Each person is trying to honor the Lord. They are trying to live for Jesus. They just came out. I mean, people's perspectives are based on what they've learned, what they've experienced. I mean, there's so much involved in people's perspective. But he says, let's stop condemning each other. Uh, accept one another. Uh, why do you condemn another believer? They, they stand before God, not stand before you. God is the judge. You're, you're not the judge. And he goes on. I, I, I know and I am convinced on the authority of the Lord Jesus that no food in of itself is wrong to eat. Which is surprising to say when some of that meat was prayed over and invoking the power of those gods upon that meat. And that meat was being sold. And here Paul is saying, uh, you know, it's okay to eat. That can be helpful when deciding, you know, is this okay? Is this not okay? I mean, Paul seemed to be more free on that issue. Uh, but, he says, if someone believes it's wrong, then for that person it's wrong. So if you think it's a sin to do that thing, guess what? For you it's a sin. But don't condemn that other believer who thinks it's okay. That's what he's saying. And if another believer is distressed by what you eat, you are not acting in love if you eat it. Don't let your eating ruin someone for whom Christ died. So, I mean, if, if you know that this person here is like, I can't eat that meat, I might, it's going to cause a foothold to the devil. It's totally wrong. And then you come up to start eating a big chunk of meat. All this sacrificed meat is delicious. I mean, <laughs> that's not beneficial because the entire law is summed up in loving one another. Uh, that's not loving. So Paul says, don't do that. I mean, you don't push something on someone else who is not ready or it's not okay with their conscience. Uh, don't let your eating ruin someone for whom Christ died. Then you will not be criticized for doing something you believe is good. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God, and others will approve of you too. So then, let's, let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. So this is the aim. We're going to aim for harmony even though there's crazy disagreements, this is what Paul's saying, aim for harmony, don't condemn your brother, they, they, God is their judge, not you, aim for harmony, and let's just try to build each other up. And he goes on, uh, don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat. Don't let this controversy, he says, tear apart your church, don't let it tear apart the good things that God is doing, don't let it tear apart people's love for Jesus, don't let it tear apart the family of God for the sake of this debatable matter. Again, which was a ginormous issue. Remember, all foods are acceptable, but it is wrong to eat something if it makes another person stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else if it might cause another believer to stumble. You may believe there is nothing wrong with what you are doing, but keep it between yourself and God. Blessed are those who don't feel guilty for doing something they have decided is right. And so uh, he's just saying, you're blessed in that freedom. If you can be a little bit more free in your faith, that's, that's a real blessing because Christ came to set you free. But if you're a bit more legalistic and like to have lots of rules around you, that's, that's okay too. Um, but you're just both trying to honor God in a different way. But, he says this, he finishes off chapter 14. But if you have doubts about whether or not you should eat something or do something or wear something or engage in this or whatever your question is, you are sinning if you go ahead and do it. For you are not following your convictions. If you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. There can be some things that are okay for you, but not for another person. I mean, we could take even a more controversial thing, maybe coming more out of this question. We could take something like 
like yoga. Uh, yoga has its, its roots in Hinduism. Um, uh, there, lots of Christians would say that, that Christians should never participate in yoga uh, because you know it's, it's founded in Hinduism and you can't separate it from the religion. But at the same time, there's lots of Christians that do yoga. There's lots of called Christian yoga. There's lots of Christian yoga groups out there. And this is one of those debatable issues within church that some people say it's totally not okay because you're opening up a foothold to the devil. And there's other people saying, no, I feel free. I'm not doing it in a way that is Hinduistic. I'm doing it in a way that honors God. And I meditate on scripture. I meditate on Jesus as I'm doing it. Uh, again, you can take something like that and put, put it through that para paradigm, creation, fall, redemption. You can look at the fallen aspects of yoga, as some Christians do, and say, we'll totally reject the whole thing. Other Christians say, yeah, there's some fallen aspects of it, some things that have to do with Hinduism that are not compatible with Christianity. We're going to park those on the side and go back to creation. Stretching is part of God's creative plan. Exercise is part of God's good creative plan. Spending some time in meditation and focusing on God is a good creative plan. So there's some Christians who will say, we're going to go back to the structure and bring redemption out of that. Some people say, well, that's not really yoga then or whatever, but that's just a debate. Uh, but in the end, there are some Christians who are going to say it's absolutely wrong, and there's some Christians who are going to say it's absolutely fine. Paul would say, that's okay. You guys can have discussions, but don't condemn each other. Uh, don't split apart the work of God over this. Uh, uh, don't, because they stand and fall before God, you stand before God. Our job is to love and accept and to, and to, and to as Paul said, to build up the church, not to pull down the church. And then he finishes this whole section off with this. Considering this, this debate, or whatever church debate it is, may God, who gives this patience and encouragement, help you live in complete harmony with each other. Now, how can you live in complete harmony with someone who totally disagree with, disagrees with you? Some people think that doesn't work. But I just say, actually, it works all the time. I mean, I am one with my wife, Marie. I'm more one with her than anyone else, but you know, there's some stuff we really don't agree on. But we still live in complete harmony, and we love each other and enjoy, she's my best friend, and I, I love my wife to pieces, but we don't agree on anything. I mean, it happens all the time. I mean, love is greater than having to agree on every little issue, and this is what Paul is saying. Live in complete harmony with each other, as is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus. The, the fitting being fitting to live out our faith is the entire law is filled up in this command to love each other deeply because that is how our love for God is primarily expressed. Then all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because this is what happens when you all send put that we are all children of God ahead of the controversy or you, you put together the idea that... that uh, we're going to focus on love and what's beneficial rather than this disagreement. All of a sudden, the church can raise up one voice and say, we love you, God, and we are your kids, and we're going to rock this world for Jesus, even though there are some disagreements. But then he finishes with this. Therefore, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you, so that glory will be given to God. When you look at a brother and sister who's got a different opinion than you, Maybe they think it's okay, but you don't. And you just say, you know, I accept you as my brother and sister. That brings glory to God. <laughs> and we want to be people who bring glory to God. And one of the ways we do is just as Jesus looks at you, 
and says, I accept you. You know, you're a mess, Jesse, but I accept you. I accept you. I love you. Paul is saying, I want you to do that for others. And we look at people, and whenever someone disagrees with them, we always think they're wrong and they're messy. But Paul just wants to say, you know what? I accept you as my brother and sister. And God is like, that brings glory to me. And, and, and Jesus accepts it. I mean, Romans 5 says that we have been made right in God's sight. When God looks at you because of Jesus, there, there's peace. He accepts you. When God looks at you, he, he says, there's no condemnation upon you. My son Jesus has taken it all. I accept you. Uh, Romans 9 says that no one will ever be put to shame who is in him. When you are in Jesus, God looks at you and say, I don't shame you in any way. I accept you. Over and over and over, the Bible says that we are actually in Christ, which means he accepts us, not just hugging us, not just, you know, I just, I accept you with a distant handshake. You know, you know, you know those people you really disagree with and you're just like, I accept you, brother. You know, sometimes we're, we're accept you, brother, but Jesus is, man, you guys are all so messy, but I accept you right into me. Jesus looks at you and says, I fully accept you. And Paul says, I want you to do that for others. That brings glory because that means you're being a child of mine. When you look at another believer who's got a different opinion than you and you just don't just give him a shake, you give him a hug, but he's like, I accept you as my brother or sister in the Lord. And God's going, yeah, that brings glory to me. And we are so loved by God. We are so accepted by him. And as we say sometimes here, that in God, I am deeply loved, I am fully forgiven, and totally accepted in Christ. God alone is the final authority on my self-worth and identity. And God says, just do that for others. That brings glory. So, Father, we just pray your grace upon this church, this, this messy group we are. Uh, we're so diverse here, and, and, and we love that, God. We, we, we thank you for the diversity of your body. And God, as we wrestle with things throughout our Christian walk and we wrestle in, with things in culture, can I do this? Can I not do this? Should I run for this? Should I accept it? Should I redeem it? Should I change it? Uh, God, we pray you would be speaking clearly to us. I pray you would be giving us revelation as we open your word and, and, and search the scriptures. I pray you would give us wisdom when we begin to go down the wrong path, God, that you would show us clearly the right path. And we pray, Father, you would help us to be people that are are your sons and daughters who look at the fallenness of the world and don't reject it, but we say, let's bring redemption to it, because that's your heart. And God, we pray that you would help us accept one another, because that brings glory to you. Uh, that, 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 that we're for loving one another, we are for good discussions and maturity around those issues, but we accept one another because you've accepted us. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus.